All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Late Late Capitalism Show. My name is Jesse. I'm uh, one of four hosts. Let me introduce one of the other ones. Who's it going to be across from me? <laughs> oh, it's Chance. He always uh, chooses Chance first. He always chooses. It's because I'm the cutest one. Yeah. It's because we are always <laughs> facing each other as well. Yeah, yeah. I have no object permanence. I'm here uh, joined also by Dean and Megan. Wow. Yep. Too far. Yeah. yeah. And, and it, we have a, a full crew today. I know there's been, there was a couple weeks there where I was missing out, but yeah. that's okay. The, the pod suffered for it. Yeah. They cloned me and brought someone else back. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, just a quick content warning, both in terms of swear words, which we will be doing uh, copious amounts of, but also this week we have a specific topic, which is we're going to be discussing uh, specifically prison for women, which was a correctional facility here in the city of Kingston. And then more broadly, female incarceration in general included in this story there's going to be instances of uh suicide and self-harm drug abuse and misuse uh well i mean everything that goes along with the correctional system so you're going to have acts of blatant outright corruption uh people being abused without their consent and people being incarcerated (laughs) without their consent yeah no you can abuse me that's okay yeah this is not the the fun kind of abuse that i sign up for this is like actual monstrous we sign up for by bravely doing this podcast (laughs) it's a a nice trickle down relationship so i just wanted to put that out there uh there'll be a lot of very difficult subject matter in this episode at least in the majority of it we're gonna hopefully uh try and be funny by the end but i'm not gonna lie to you that is an uphill battle on most days and it's basically mount everest with the subject matter Okay, well, hear me out. Is this anything? Um, there, it's a prison for women because women can be anything. They can be prisoners. If that's true. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's that's seventh wave feminism. Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna. My bit was gonna be prison for women. Why isn't there a prison for men? Oh, I like <laughs> sort of an MRA style <laughs> thing. Yeah, how, when, when are they gonna make a prison for men? <laughs> By women for women. <laughs> oh. Well, you were half right. So. Before we get into uh, Prison for Women specifically, I just wanted to open the floor and be like, what do you guys know about either Prison for Women, the building specifically, or female incarceration in Canada more broadly? Didn't Queens buy it? That the building? Yes, you are right. We'll get to that more uh, so towards the end, but that's definitely correct. That I know, was fairly I recent. know Mark Twain had sex with a, an inmate. What? <laughs> that's what I know. Like here? Yeah. Oh, for real? Yes. Cool. That yeah. I brought it up me. in my in my prison my I, prison I episode, guys. I remember that he was there yeah. and that he said it was like completely inhumane and fucked up. It, yes. Until he met a beautiful woman. Oh. They left them alone and then he left and gave a speech in front of City Hall saying how great the prison was. What year was this? Wonder if he got his dick sucked. What year was this? Do you I remember? Don't, I don't was know. this like <laughs> the thirties or forties? I'll find out. I'll okay. find out. I'll I'll fill everyone in. We'll, I was we'll not aware that. that the building was actually called prison for women. Yes. I thought every Everyone just called that. No, but it is quite literally even have a fancy name. <laughs> prison for women. Uh, we'll get into that more a bit when I go into the more uh, general kind of background. Anything else? Any other knowledge of prison for women or female incarceration? There's no wrong answer to this either. I'm just orange is curious. the new black. Sure. Yeah. Uh, not I, related to prison for women. It's a show, but it is a show about, about female inmates, women in prison. So that's right. <laughs> there is a prison for women in that show. I've seen one season, and it was pretty good, <laughs> but not good enough to make me watch season two. So that's you know what? That's very fair. Okay, Kingston, as we've discussed on the show numerous times, has always been a prison town, and the subject we're going to be covering today, you can think of it as like a greatest hits of sort for the show, where we cover prison, like with Chance's episode on prison farms, which I think is one of our absolute best. We're also, however, going to be talking about 
Something that I've covered in our episode on the RCMP, which is a CIA connection to Prison Uh-oh. for Women here no. in the We city need like Kingston. a sound effect, or like a CIA specific sound no, effect. No, it's got to be the. Megan, you have to find <laughs> one. <laughs> and is Don Cherry in this story? That's right. <laughs> well, he is from Kingston, and like some of our other episodes, Sir John A., even to an extent, the biker episode, we're going to be covering specific history of an event or location. Uh, in this case, a couple events at a very specific location. So this is very much right in my wheelhouse as well. Full disclosure, for the past three years, I've been a part of the monstrous tourism industry at Kingston Penitentiary doing the tours there, which is no nothing short of a uh, soul-draining experience. I hate it, but it's a job and it's a living. And unfortunately, my material conditions uh, dictate that I continue to work there and talk with some mouth-breathing freaks. I think it's nice. Yeah, it is nice, isn't it? It's a service for the people. When they tip me especially, boy, oh boy. Do I uh, not hate them? Does it ha- a little happy dance? That's right. I, uh, <laughs> yeah. And then hold his hat, hat out like a <laughs> like a, a Dickensian orphan. Oh, you want to hear more facts about prison? And then uh, they usually do. I, I've gotten very good at grubbing for tips. That's the reality. But we can all relate to that. We are all <laughs> tip and service based workers mm. either now at some point or maybe in some cases yeah, forever until time <laughs> immemorial. That's right. Until the sun <laughs> itself burns out. Okay, before we can talk about prison for women, we do need to talk about Kingston Penitentiary because the two have a very close relationship. So I'm going to give you the rundown on the history of KP, which once again is right in my wheelhouse. So work originally began on Kingston Penitentiary, which is at the base of uh, King Street by Lake Ontario. So it's right on the waterfront. And they started working on it in 1833. Uh, They finished it in 1835. 1835 is also when the first inmates arrived. And when they did arrive, they had one building, and then a big wooden wall that surrounded the prison. Guess who was put to work building the rest of the prison? Prisoners. That's right. As more inmates arrived, they actually built more cell blocks for them, which allowed them to increase their capacity. And then on that same level, exactly, increase their efficiency as well. You could say that's kind of like they seized the means of production, right? Like, what? (laughs) I don't know about that. (laughs) They like they built it for themselves. They took it away from the uh, from the by the prisoners for the prisoners. By the prisoners for the prisoners. First co-op prison. So in the early days, uh, part of the reason for Kingston Penitentiary's construction was uh, from just a practical standpoint, there was lots of limestone in the area. It was on the access point for major shipping routes. They could bring inmates and goods in. And also they had Fort Henry being constructed around the same time. So there was a military presence in case there was an issue at the prison and there would be many issues at the prison, only three of which required military intervention, however. And Kingston Penitentiary wasn't just a male institution, actually for about... Almost a hundred years, they housed female inmates. In fact, they also housed children. Now, there was a specific cell block. Did they like stay up past bedtime? Uh, You know what? It's not honestly much worse than that that got them into Kingston Penitentiary because it was also built to partially accommodate overflow traffic from the jail. Yeah. It'd be like children's debtors prison where like they they didn't have enough penny for their penny candy. They're not really far from the truth. Jesus Christ. Like, I mean, kids were getting locked up for mostly theft. In some cases, delinquency. In some cases, drunkenness. There were a lot of drunkenness offenders, obviously, in the male and female population as well. The youngest inmate there was eight years old, and he was just like something out of Dickens, incarcerated for stealing bread to feed his family. Oh, my God. He also received the same kind of treatment as the rest of the prisoners. So an important thing to note is the male and female populations were kept separate. And the female and the children populations were kept in the northern cell block where the more modern segregation unit would be located today. 
Now, back in the day, Kingston Penitentiary had corporal punishment, which meant if you did something as innocent as speak without being spoken to, you could be subject to lashings, you could be subject to reduced rations, you could be locked in your cell for the full 24-hour period. Another thing to consider, cells when the institution was first opened were 29 inches, so about two and a half feet wide, six feet, four inches tall, and about eight feet deep. You were essentially in a closet, and they were designed to face inward so you wouldn't get any natural light either. You had two buckets and a bed. That was it. Some other instances of what I would describe as torture that occurred in Kingston Penitentiary. Kingston Penitentiary had, in 1854, something known as the water box, which was essentially a wooden chair with a bucket at the top. You would put your head through a hole in the bottom of the bucket, and they would slowly fill it up as a means of water torture. This only lasted for a year because one inmate died of a heart attack after being subjected to this water torture. Jesus. Children would frequently receive beatings. Women would frequently receive beatings. Also bear in mind, this was an entirely male guard staff at the time. Women that came to the prison with children had their children forcibly confiscated and put into the foster system. Which was much nicer than the prisons. <laughs> You're right. Still, to this very day, <laughs> yeah. famously a preferable option. So now that you know about the early history of Kingston Penitentiary, let's talk about where Prison for Women starts to come in. They realize that having women in the same general area as the men, not a great idea. Not a good look. Not a this good ain't look. It. Bad practice. Yeah. So in 1909, they actually start work on a separate facility within the walls of KP for female inmates. Finish it around 1913. It's a three-story building. First floor is the cell block. And you had about 35 cells altogether. Second and third floor is actually where the matron and the deputy matron, so the women in charge of the prison, used to live over top of the inmates, which seems insanely fucked up to me. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. Not a great situation. No. Uh, they had very limited job opportunities. They eventually started paying the inmates, as we discussed in the prison farm episode. It ain't very much, and it certainly has not adjusted for inflation, so it's not really any fucking good anymore. But at least they started paying them. That being said, the women only had two job opportunities, which was sewing or working in the warden's house across the street. That was it. Yeah. True. The men could obviously work in any number of trade shops. They could work on the grounds. They could find all sorts of alternative employment, but women were only encouraged to work on stuff that would aid their uh, life as, you know, housewives yeah, or like the men, they workers. were sort of, it's sort of like Harvard in the early 2000s where you'd sort of like, m- like invent your own job to do. Like Mark Zuckerberg <laughs> invented, uh, you know, being the Facebook guy and the inmates would invent like, Oh, you know, like I'm the guy who uh, doesn't throw pig shit at you. And you pay me like some amount of protection money, and then I won't throw pig shit at you. This is very similar to Zuckerberg's uh, policy, <laughs> if you think about it. Yeah, yeah. so basically, I'm the uh, ranger's designated not masturbator. <laughs> so they pay me not to jack my hog off on the range. And you know what? He deserves it. It's difficult not to do that. Yeah. So they realize that. Okay, the separate facility is a good start, but it's still not really an ideal situation for us. So in the early 1930s, they actually start work on a facility across the street, still stands to this very day. The original prison for women was named Prison for Women, and the new Prison for Women was also named Prison for Women. <laughs> Creative. Two. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not even. Prison <laughs> cool for opinion. Women 2. They just 2. called 0. it Prison for Women 2, Prison for Women 3. Uh, <laughs> they literally just called it Prison for Women again because they couldn't think of a name. 
they finished that in 1934. Well, but like, honestly, imagine you're like a female inmate and they name a jail after you. You'd be like, what the fuck? That's like, sick. <laughs> name it after like a saint or something. I don't know. Like I, I do like... This was the years before cocaine really had like, pre- like president wow. like precedence in, in you know medical. North American uh, culture, and like as such, like no one could think of names for anything. It's just <laughs> fucking impossible. As to you're do. going to discover, it's a common motif in corrections that their naming policies are either ADIQ stupid or just so disingenuous that is insane. More on that. Yeah, way back then it was like, oh, you wanted to hang out with a buddy and be like, meet me at the corner of Road and Street. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It was Main Street and Second Road. That's yeah, fucking yeah, it. Yeah. That's all you needed. <laughs> In 1932, there was a riot at Kingston Penitentiary. This riot was essentially a labor dispute between the inmates and the institution. You know what aided this? The fact that Tim Buck, the leader of the Canadian Communist Party, was a political prisoner at the time. He was sent to Kingston Penitentiary in the early 1930s, and guess what? He helped organize the 1932 riot. That's so fun. And by riot, I mean he organized a sit-down peaceful strike. And the institution, and this is going to sound familiar, it's going to feel like we're talking about 2020. Yeah. They sent the guards in to beat the prisoners, Mm -hmm. and all hell broke loose. During (laughs) this riot... Tim Buck, who was in his cell at the time, and remember, this cell by this point is five feet wide, so they doubled the cell size. Luxury, babe. Woo! Still the smallest in Canada up until 2013. Two army officers, because the army had been deployed onto site, so two uh, military members walked up to his cell and fired seven shots into his cell, somehow not hitting him. He hid under the bed. Fucking moron. I feel like I remember you talking about that in the other episode. Insane. Shooting fish in a barrel. (laughs) Can't do it. Prison for women actually originally held male inmates involved with the 1932 riot until it was ready for the female inmate population to move in. So it's January 1934. Prison for women is opened. It is the only female federal penitentiary, meaning if you were an offender from the Northwest Territories, PEI, BC, Alberta, and you got federal time, so two years plus one day, you had to serve in Kingston. What well, is the difference in Canada between federal time and do we have provincial yes, time? Yes, we do. Provincial time is essentially two years less a day, so it's just the length of time you serve. Oh, so our crimes aren't different, really? It can be. Obviously, more severe crimes are going to have more longer periods. So, you know, like murder is always a federal offense. Bank robbery is always a federal offense. But some forms of assault, depending on, you know, intent and severity, might be provincial versus federal. It's actually interesting, too, because in Newfoundland, provincial time actually adds another half hour. (laughs) That's right, to your sense. (laughs) It's a time zone joke, folks. The last 30 that kills (laughs) you. Good one, Dean. But it's important to note that this made organizing any kind of family support or family visits essentially impossible if you were an offender from outside of Ontario, Mm -hmm. which when you bear in mind the conditions I'm going to describe to you, you can start to understand why people got as desperate as they did. So the facility opens in January of 1934, was barely better than what they had at Kingston Penitentiary. In fact, it was designed almost identical to Kingston Penitentiary in terms of cells, structure, and policy. So... 1939, the Archambault Report is filed. Uh, Essentially, it's a government inquest into prison for women. You know what this report said? The conditions are, quote, disgraceful, and this penitentiary must be closed immediately. And sorry, when was this? 1939. Disgraceful conditions in 1939. (laughs) Five years after it opened. Well, but that, like, that can you like? Long. I can't even imagine what like 1939, 1939 standards was shitty. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah. Like how how he, he could just, possibly he shows up and he's like, oh, I got to speed up my weekly bath this week and move it to tomorrow because this place is rotten. Yeah, this is <laughs> fucked up for the 1930s. This smell. This place smells as bad as the poop bucket I keep in my kitchen. <laughs> Bear in mind, this is considered to be cutting cutting edge, state of the art. Kingston Penitentiary when it was opened. So in the 1830s, uh, Charles Dickens himself would actually visit and declare that it was a well-run jail, a model for the rest of the world. Don't don't tell me this. I'm don't not, Dickens didn't do this. Yes, is Dickens the one I was thinking of? He's the tale of two cities guy. No, Mark <laughs> Twain was also there. I'm did sure. Mark Twain Ernest, not? Yeah, yeah Twain was also there. <laughs> Ernest Hemingway also. Uh, what? Kingston Why were these people all here? He was there as a reporter for the Toronto Star mm. to cover an escape, actually. Okay, I honestly just assumed all yeah, these Hemingway was everywhere. Hemingway was cool British, as shit. Yeah, Hemingway was so. also like, this place is fucked up. Dog. Yeah, because Hemingway <laughs> was cool as shit. Yeah, Hemingway fucking rocked. Yeah. But I digress. So Did you know is, that he committed war crimes mm. in, in World War II? Was by, it against the fascists? Yeah, like he basically, like, he went there to report and then yes. he just like happened upon this like guerrilla band of like French resistance fighters. He led them as their general, uh, which he, but like not being a part of any like nation's army is a war crime. Yeah, if true. you're leading an army of men. Uh, and then like, uh, you know, he talked to like the, what became the EU, like all these like, you know, French assholes. And they basically were like, well, you helped us out. So we're not going to charge you <laughs> with war crimes. So he's like, thanks. Sorry, yeah. so yeah, it, it was Dickens who fucked someone. Oh, that makes oh, so much Dickens more sense. Dickens fucked somebody. Yeah, um, uh, d- like, he was just shitting on the whole city of Kingston. He shat on the jail. <laughs> and then and then he was like, um, there's an admirable jail here, well and wisely governed and excellently regulated. Uh, among the prisoners was a beautiful girl of 20 <laughs> who had been there nearly three years, setting forth mm-hmm. on one of her patriotic missions. She appropriated to herself the first horse she could lay her hands on, and this offense brought her to where I saw her. She had a quite a lovely face. There was a lurking devil in her bright eyes, which looked out pretty sharply from between her prison bars. Jesus Christ. Yeah, he yeah. definitely fucked that one. Okay. Yeah, that's also, rough. stealing a horse is the coolest offense. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad. <laughs> yeah. Like, like you're 17 and you stole yeah. a horse. Yeah, like, that's, that's awesome. kind of sick. Yeah. Horse girls always did have like a prisoner <laughs> too. Though. Like, I, I respect that. That's I'm true. terrified of them. <laughs> So in the 1940s, there isn't much time to report on the prison because Canada is at war. In fact, uh, Kingston Penitentiary, they would have a contract making military uniforms and Prison for Women actually had a contract making uniforms for the RCMP. Now, just remember the RCMP because as the 1940s turns to the 1950s and as the 50s turns to the 60s, there's something going on in the United States and also in Montreal known as Project MKUltra. Classic. I... You introed this when you like you told us before the show that you this was an MK Ultra story. Yes, and I did not believe it. <laughs> so. It's completely insane to think that this shit actually happened. So here. for the uninformed, MK Ultra was a CIA experiment, partially run out of Montreal, uh, specifically McGill University. Yeah. It was their attempt to use. Uh, essentially LSD as a means to uh, create mind control. And it was there. It was a, it's cold war bullshit. Yeah. No, like, it's oh, the like Soviets compl- have mind like, yeah. control. We have to get it. Was too. it the same stuff as in the seventies where they tried to like wipe people's brains totally and teach them how to be a human being from scratch again? Cause they did that at McGill as well. So I it, was, it was pretty much that MK ultra is like, um, how to coerce someone to behave in the ways that you want yeah. them to behave. Okay. And they pretty much started with, um, 
the least extreme options and then push forward forward. Yeah, Naomi Klein talks about it in the Shock Doctrine, yeah. and it's very fun. They believe Britney yeah, Spears was an MK so Ultra victim. What's interesting true. in Kingston is you had an official study, which actually doesn't seem like it was MK Ultra related. It was a local psychologist who was just experimenting with LSD, but it was in a clinical setting with consenting individuals involved, and it was mostly just to see how it could be used to treat like depression and mental health issues. And then in prison for women, they had MK Ultra, like no doubt about it, where they were taking unconsenting women, dosing them with LSD, locking them in solitary confinement oh my God. for weeks at a time. Now, for me to get this story, I had to email a man who wrote about it in the Ottawa Citizen in 1998. <laughs> I emailed him and said, hey, do you still have this information? And he basically sent me a notepad (laughs) (laughs) from which I drew. So this takes place through the 1950s, late fifties into the sixties. 23 women were identified as being a part of this quote unquote study dosed without consent. I have a story from one of them who actually went on the record to describe her experiences. Her name is, well, was Dorothy Proctor. Don't worry. She didn't die during this. She actually mm-hmm. lived quite a long life and made it out the other end as well as one can be. She was serving time in 1961. She was an accessory to a burglary. She was sentenced to Kingston Penitentiary. 17 years old, young black woman. Her family is from the Maritimes. She was in Kingston on her own. She believes that she was chosen for this experiment because she was a throwaway with no friends or family. Yeah. They took her, they locked her in solitary confinement, and without her consent, they dosed her with LSD. Over the next five days, she would experience numerous bad trips, which were actually found to have had a negative impact on her brain chemistry moving forward. It's also important to note that prior to this, Dorothy Proctor had never done any drugs whatsoever, and she was immediately given LSD. After her release from prison for women, she would become a drug addict and she would actually work for the RCMP as an informant. Mm -hmm. During her time as an informant, she was repeatedly sexually assaulted by her commanding officers to the point where she filed a lawsuit against the RCMP as well as a lawsuit against corrections. Ballsy. Well, you said she was sentenced to Kingston Penitentiary, but was she there or was she in prison? Oh, sorry. Prison for women. Okay. good. Yeah. She was sentenced to serve time in Kingston. My mistake. Okay. So she described some of her trips to the journalist who wrote the story. Uh, Actually, it was in an official report. More on that a little bit later. I remember the walls melting, bars turning into snakes. I was dry screaming. I would scream and scream and nothing would come out. No one was there to help me anyways. I saw spiders all over the jail. I slashed my arm up and all that came out was spiders crawling out over every surface. Jesus Christ. I'm sorry, what what sort of data are they gathering from this? Spider Th- data. This That's is right. sadistic. And if there's no one there actually like watching Absol- that and documenting any of this, if yeah. this is just her in solitary. So yeah, yeah. there was documentation, but not that she was aware of. Okay. But I do want to finish this quote. Yeah, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No, 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 it's all good. Yeah. Describe some of the nightmarish stuff. Uh, spider semen crawled up my legs, into my vagina, and into my ass. I slept with wadded toilet paper in my ears, anus, vagina, and mouth. I did not get much sleep over the next five days. Oh, my God. So there were horrendous, infrequent check-ins from uh, essentially the guard staff, but they were just there to write notes and see if she was still alive. There was no actual care given or any kind of treatment for the entirety of this five-day dosing period. Now, Proctor, in years afterwards, I mentioned that she worked for the RCMP where she was then sexually abused, 
by the RCMP officers overseeing her. She was involved in drug stings and operations. Basically, corrections ruined her life, made her into a drug addict, and then the only job she could get was with the RCMP informing yeah. another drug addicts. She was traumatized. She could not open cans. Uh, the sight of any kind of sharp or serrated edge would remind her of the slash on her arm. She actually could not look into mirrors because her reflection would melt and disappear in front of her. She was diagnosed with having a PHPD, which is essentially a drug-induced post-traumatic stress disorder. Yeah. She would pursue damages against corrections. And actually, in the mid to late 1990s, this court case would be brought to light. It's going to become important towards the end of our story. But this is one of 23 women dosed without their consent involved in an MK Ultra experiment. Now, corrections tried to claim that this was actually an offshoot of the legitimate experiment being conducted by a Dr. Laverty here in Kingston. And he said, no. Yeah. This is not I've a clinical treatment. Yeah. He basically said that this was monstrous behavior. Oh, mm -hmm. Jesus. Now, during the lawsuit, there were a lot of issues for Proctor to prove that this happened because, as corrections said, they were unable to locate her file. It turned out that a lot of these files on her and the 22 other women had been destroyed by corrections within weeks of the project's completion. Yep. Oh my God. Yeah, because it, was it was just for fucking kicks. It was because, well, they also realized that it was a bullshit experiment. Yeah. It's important as well with the church commission going on in the 1970s. In the lead up to that, a lot of CIA classified files were destroyed altogether. Yep. So the full uh, monstrous nature of their crimes could not be discovered. And it was pretty astonishing to see something like that occurring in prison for women here in the city of Kingston within the last 50 fucking years. Yeah. And, so, and like we, we haven't mentioned yet, but like MK ultra is the project that created the Unabomber, uh, chances hero, Ted Kaczynski. Uh, yeah. Ted Kaczynski. <laughs> Ted Davinky. Okay. So we're into the 1970s now. Uh, conditions have not improved in prison for women. Still the only female federal institution in Canada. In 1977, a government report stated that prison for women was, quote, unfit for bears, let alone women, and called for its immediate closure. That's a very what? random statement. Well, this country is bears. severely anti-bear, so that's a pretty bold <laughs> <That's> statement. <true. laughs> I'm going to once again speak on an experience of an inmate, a woman named Fran Chasen, who was there throughout the late 1970s, through the 1980s, and even into the early 1990s. She describes cutting her friend down after five days of solitary confinement. So her friend returned basically from the hole and immediately attempted to commit suicide. Chason actually saved her life. Chason would end up in the hole, segre segregation, solitary confinement. A short time later, she was there for a week. And at the end of that week, she too would attempt to take her own life. Mm -hmm. She discussed in the 1980s, specifically from 1988 till 1991, there were seven suicides in prison for women. Oh my mm -hmm. God. Yeah. Towards the end of this run of suicides. So in 1990 corrections realized they finally had to step in and do something. They started to do an investigation on prison for women. They called their report creating choices, which is one of the yeah. dumbest fucking names. Okay. Yeah. That, that's a very nineties name. Quote, creative choices <laughs> yeah, brought about a new philosophy for women offenders. One focused on empowerment, responsible choices, respect, dignity, supportive environments. It's a girl boss fact. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. No, it's, it's, it's individual, you know, like your mental health is your responsibility. Yeah, and it's like based you, on you your have, choices. Yeah, you have yeah, to, when you're in solitary confinement, Confinement, you just need to think happy thoughts. That's yeah. right. You need to pretend you're not there. Yeah, get full <laughs> stoic. 
imagine you are on an island. One of these descriptions of suicide, I'm, I obviously am skipping a lot of the really graphic details on this, but uh, Chason shares a story about specifically uh, five of those seven women were Aboriginal. And she talks about one who uh, was from, I believe, the Northwest Territories, and her father had come to town for the first time to actually visit her. She got up to use the washroom and didn't return. Her father would go in to find her and discover her in a bathroom stall, uh, having slashed her wrists and taken her own life. This was in the 1990s. So I want you just to bear in mind the new aspect of female federal corrections that focuses on empowerment, responsible choices, respect, dignity, and supportive environments. Because we're moving into the penultimate chapter of the story of prison for women, the penitentiary here in Kingston. In April 1994... Prison for Women had its only riot that occurred within the grounds. And to call it a riot, I think, is very generous. Mm -hmm. There was a disturbance within the facility on April 22nd, no doubt about that. This disturbance was sparked by a staff member making a racist remark towards a group of Aboriginal inmates, although it was not just Aboriginal inmates involved in the fracas. This was April 22nd, 1994. A brief, violent confrontation occurred between staff and inmates sparked by that racist remark. At the end of this confrontation, which lasted a few hours, six inmates would be placed in segregation or solitary confinement. And a few days later, so about two days later, three inmates that were also in solitary confinement unrelated to the riot had, as you would naturally do when you've been locked up and deprived of any kind of fucking human interaction or anything at all. Stimulus whatsoever. uh, Quote unquote acted out. And that led the warden of the institution to worry that a second round of violence was on the way. Mm Mm-hmm. So she decided to crack down. April 26th, 1994, the warden for Prison for Women called in Kingston Penitentiary's all-male emergency response team. This is essentially an institutional SWAT team. Yeah, like ICE it. They are fully armed, fully equipped, like we're talking like U.S. militarized police style. Yeah. They, Tear gas and batons, exactly. shields, the works. They were called into the prison ostensibly for a quote-unquote cell extraction where they were going to move the six inmates involved in the altercation as well as the three other ones unrelated to it to uh, alternative facilities that were being built uh, throughout Ontario and the country at this time. They came in around the middle of the night when many of the women involved were sleeping. They entered their cells one by one, forcibly required these women to strip if they did not listen to this order if they did not go along with it they shackled them restrained them held them down and then had members of the staff cut their clothing off from them mm-hmm. they would leave them shackled and restrained nude for over six hours as they went cell by cell during this time they would take smoke breaks food breaks many officers could be heard laughing and remarking about the naked figures laying in the cells around them this event was described as traumatizing and incredibly dehumanizing Now, this is a male staff that was brought in to do this. This is important because this would end up having dire, dire ramifications. Were most of the staff women normally? Within prison for women, yep. There were a lot of female guards. There were female guards that worked at Kingston Penitentiary as well, but the majority of the staff at prison for women were female. But there were male guards sometimes too? Not within prison for women. It was almost exclusively female. It'd be very rare to have any male guards. And even if they did, they'd be mostly in remote places where they weren't going to interact with the female inmates. The fact that they called in an all male, like this is the goose. Yeah, squad. that was on purpose. Yeah. It was very much on purpose and unnecessary mm-hmm. because this altercation had ended. These women were literally sleeping in their cells when these fucking pigs invaded and stripped them down. 
So an investigation would be launched by corrections in which they, of course, downplayed the severity of the incident. But there was also an internal investigation launch. In fact, like the Canadian justice system would actually look into this case quite heavily. So the inmate advocates involved with this, uh, there's a really great woman, Catherine Pate, I believe, who served as like the official uh, chair of like the inmate advocacy board, specifically for women. Fantastic, really knowledgeable. A lot of good quotes in this come from her. Uh, she was obviously not too thrilled with when it went, went on there. She described it as excessive dehumanizing force. Uh, there was a commission of inquiry that actually sided with the independent review. So they saw correction stuff and said, that's bullshit. Like, we're actually going to follow the facts of this case. This was, of course, taken to court by the women involved along the same time as Dorothy Proctor's case. So in the mid to late 1990s, Prison for Women was settling two massive cases into millions of dollars of settlements. It was found that they violated Articles 3 and 5 of the Declaration of Human Rights from the United Nations for cruel, inhuman, and degrading treatment. These combination of lawsuits, so Dorothy Proctor as well as the women involved in the 1994 altercation, were another reason why prison for women was finally closed. So in the creating choices mandate, like report of 1990, they actually did say, Hey, we need to close this institution. Like it is detrimental to the health of these women, which is true. Yeah. Cause it was killing them. Cause it was killing them. So in the process, they started constructing more facilities across the country so they could actually have women, you know, from Alberta serving time in Alberta, which obviously you don't want anybody serving time, but at least now you can fucking see your family mm -hmm. as well as the creation of like uh, quote unquote healing lodges. It's all, you know, corrections, jargon, bullshit, yeah. but prison for women was open for 65 years. In that 65 years, they had multiple reports calling for its closure within five years of it being opened. It had a more notorious reputation than Kingston Penitentiary, which had been open for 100 years prior and would remain open for 15 years after the fact. And this is all shit that you wouldn't ever know about. Mm -hmm. That is what blows my mind. The fact that there were having... We had these blatant violations of human rights and even going beyond the fact that incarceration is a violation of basic human rights and dignity. But even on top of that, the fucking injustices forced upon these women, either intentionally through projects like MKUltra or the raid on these fucking sleeping women carried out by the Kingston Penitentiary Guard staff or the more implicit just nature of corrections itself, women committing suicide, women being deprived of opportunities to actually heal and grow, women even being deprived of opportunities to earn a fucking living mm -hmm. while being incarcerated. All this shit was happening within the confines of Kingston as recently as 1998. Yeah. Jesus. And I had to find this fucking information by emailing a very nice man who clearly has not been emailed in a very long time because he responded within like two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so they're just like, oh yes, perfect. I had to go fucking digging for this shit. So now is there just, there's like multiple federal penitentiaries for women like yes. across the country? Yep. The closest one in Ontario is Grand Valley Institution, which in 2009 was involved in a very famous incident involving Ashley Smith, which yep. we'll probably discuss in another episode because it's a fucking travesty in and of itself. Yeah, that's a sad one. So let's talk about the aftermath and like the legacy of prison for women. So the creating choices report finally did as well as now correction says officially it's, Oh, this report and uh, better access to treatment is what necessitated the closure of prison for women. And in fact, on the Kingston penitentiary tour, they don't even talk about the closure of prison for women mm -hmm. because it's, the darkest of corrections. I, darkest I, I remember them not even mentioning it whatsoever. Like the prison nope. for women when I did they the tour. They use it as a cop out to say, oh, uh, yeah, it's, that's not about KP. 
Yeah. But the truth of the matter is if they talked about prison for women, they would have to talk about the fucking atrocities committed there. And that's something that doesn't work well for PR. Yeah, that doesn't really get a lot of repeat. And it is so disgusting to see what the official reasoning is versus the actual reality of the situation, which Mm -hmm. is this place should have closed in 1939. And instead they use like Bell Let's Talk fucking jargon. Yeah. The fact of the matter is this place closed under a shade of fucking suspicion and disgrace because there were two federal lawsuits being filed and settled out of court into the millions of dollars range. Mm -hmm. Kingston Penitentiary was undergoing a budget crisis at the time because corrections was running out of money from paying out these settlements. So the closure of prison for women, I don't think was any kind of championing of more equitable prison treatment, but rather (laughs) we cannot afford to operate this place because we've paid out millions of dollars to the people that we fucked over for the past 60 years. Yeah. Reparations, baby. So as you mentioned, uh, once the site was made dormant, it actually was purchased by Queens University in the mid 2000s. Uh, their plan was to either turn it into residences. Yeah, that makes total sense. <laughs> <laughs> that like that tracks so perfectly. Any, any landmass, baby, haunted as fuck. It if is, that was your. First oh yeah, that is rest. that is cursed Literally, fucking land. Hundreds of women have died in there. Yeah. yeah, it is directly across from Queens West Campus, which is why they're like, oh, this is convenient. We can have West Campus too. <laughs> <laughs> Colon West Campus three. Uh, <laughs> then their plan was to essentially just turn it into archive space. Mm-hmm. But they didn't do that. They ended up selling it to a family I actually know, the Dorna Camp family. They are known for two things. One is the fact that they're all Dutch and all their boys are like six foot eight and played for like Carlton University. Okay. That's strike one and two. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm, I've Strong. said it once. I've said it a thousand Dutch, times. Dutch, Ottawa, what? I'm anti-Ontario Dutch. Anti- Dutch, <laughs> yeah, that's <right>. Dutch tall. <laughs> if you're from the Netherlands, you might get a pass. You're also probably, you know, a monster, but, you know. He's only saying this because our lovely housemate is Dutch. No, she's lovely. She's the on one her. good one. I would also like to say one of the Dorna camps, Laura, is cool because I did kiss her. Wow. Oh. I fucking basketball camp of all places too good job good job uh, boys. no I think she's will she be that. mad that you told everybody that why is she going we to watch <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't even know who I am yeah I actually had to sign contracts every girl that I've kissed has not allowed me to mention their yeah, name it's, on the show. it's a non-disclosure but not you, for the Weinstein reason but rather for the pathetic reason exactly it, it's yeah, really, they're just embarrassed <laughs> yeah I've seen your NDAs they, it's really weird that you just make it so you can't talk about yeah, it <laughs> I, I promise you I will never speak of this again <laughs> Now, the other thing the Dornicamp family is known for is being private real estate developers and landscapers. So they're going to build residences. They talked about potential. They're like, Condos. Well, we haven't decided yet, but yeah, it's a great property. We could potentially be looking at like private residential spaces. Like we don't know yet. We're going to literally going to build here. condos and it. it's going to be a condo yeah. with a quirky exterior that was once a jail. Now, like, the, only, cool. the only thing that might stop them is if it receives, you know, national historical designation. I thought it already had that. I wasn't sure if it had or not because Kingston Penitentiary certainly does. Yeah, I, I was it. under the impression mm. that it was uh, at least um, the Penitentiary Museum also has historical status but i'm not sure if prison for women does you know you mentioned earlier uh miss chison yeah chason um chason yeah fran yes i i know fran what yeah yeah she she did um a lecture for one of my classes Mm. and and we've been we were in touch after that and then haven't been in it's been years now she was the one who explained to me that uh they were they were working on it and that it was really difficult to do Mm. and that's why 
uh, probably where you're heading in your conversation. But I did want so people to know working on what uh, getting um, they were historical site. And, okay, gotcha. Also, recognition. Uh, uh, Placing a memorial there on the site as well. But I just want people to know, listening, that these, like, we, we talk about these stories and, and the horrific details of them, but, like, uh, we have to keep in mind as people that these are living beings and a lot mm-hmm. of these people are still out and about and uh, are still fighting the fight yeah. against the And again, the like, for this women. happened 20 minutes this from my old. apartment. Yeah, yeah. and, and also this didn't happen that long ago. where we are currently. Yeah. Yeah, this, this didn't happen long ago. No, this is within our lifetimes. What'd you find, Megan? It is a recognized federal heritage building. There you go. Which means they can't tear it down, but they can let it decay. And as we saw, to try and lighten the mood a bit, uh, there was an urban exploring YouTube channel channel called Freaktography. Freaktography. Which is truly the most accurate name because all four of these men are freaks. Yeah. And they... They wandered around prison for women, and it's clear that they paid somebody. Like, they didn't do the cool thing of breaking in. Yeah. Mm. They were just, like, wandering around in the middle of the day with, like, their very expensive cameras. <laughs> and it was so funny to watch this video because they go, oh, something, something, something's going to happen now. Yeah. Like, I can hear footsteps. Like, and are then, they talking about ghosts? I don't, are I don't know. they supposed to be ghost hunters? Are they just, like, no, looking no, at buildings? No, no, they're urban explorers, but they're like, oh, this place is haunted. I'm like, hey, you're there at 10 a.m. <laughs> and then you're the talking about hour. footprints and you literally one second before showed us your friend walking behind you. <laughs> <laughs> dummies. I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> was it an interesting video? Did no. they unearth anything cool? No, the only, I watched about five of the 28 minutes, uh, mostly so I could confirm that yes, the layout is identical to Kingston Penitentiary. And then I was like, oh, okay. Like literally in every single way, it was actually a bit off-putting to me. <laughs> But uh, the place is falling apart. The paint is peeling. You also know for a fact that's some like lead ass fucking paint. Oh, for sure. Considering babe. Kingston Penitentiary had asbestos up until like 1995. Yeah, right. So not great. Really just want to highlight that. Yes, even in the 1970s, they were like, man, this place doesn't fucking fit for animals. How can you keep women here? Insane. And again, like in the 30s, they were like, this is <laughs> untenable. Fucked yeah. up. Mm-hmm. So that's where the story stands as of right now. Prison for Women sits dormant. It is owned by uh, a group of very hot, tall Dutch freaks uh, who probably want to build condos so mm-hmm. they can continue to, uh, you know, flesh out the Carlton men's basketball team. Or they're going to build like an institute. Ooh. They're going to be like, mm, yes, this is our uh, Yeah, commune. this is where we stretch out the RMC Dutch boys. Too. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so do we have final thoughts uh any anything that really sticks out to you yeah folks? so fran is hardcore yeah. Fuck yeah um she she would kill any of us which is awesome yeah that fucking rocks. like like yeah. she's she's just dope like i like when i met her uh and corresponding with her um like sh- she's not only a sweetheart but she's a fucking badass mm-hmm. and um the fact that she not only has seen and lived through such horrific shit, but then left and was like, okay, so now we need to uh, move forward to tear down all prisons. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, like she's hardcore, man. Like, and she doesn't give a fuck talking to people about it in the most casual sense. Good. Like she was, she was in front of a class of like 150 dumbasses. Queen students. Yeah. Yeah. Where where they're like, where they're like, what happens when the police leave though? And she was like, she was like, well, they haven't done anything good in the first place. Yeah. And it's like, you're hardcore, man. She, she's dope as shit. And her, and I think her name is, um, 
Oh, I had their names a moment ago. Anyways, there, yeah, there's, there's a, a coalition. Yeah, of I think of, we read the same article. Uh, yeah, of activists in Kingston involving her, uh, Dr. Gunther, uh, Dr. Yes. Davies, yeah. both of which I've also corresponded with. They have a group. Uh, it's the P for W uh, Memorial mm-hmm. Group, and uh, they've been working really hard, not only with getting it out in the media, the stories from the prison for women, but also trying to work towards instead of making the place like a condo or an institute for the Dutch freaks, uh, they want it to turn into like a memorial garden Yes, uh, that has like historical plaques up that that let people know of the atrocities that have gone on. And, And again, I'm only saying this again because I want to drill it in everyone's head that these atrocities are still being felt by people because the prison only closed in what, the year 2000? Yep, officially. So there were five inmates remaining as of 1999, but it officially closed its doors 20 years ago. Yeah, that's not long. Like, that's not long. And it's important to note that there's still atrocities occurring in federal penitentiaries. And I was going to say, like, think of any other prison in Canada. Like, I'm sure they all have stories similar to this, like... Maybe not as horrible. The only well, the only know. reason why it gets out now is because it's the prison's been shut down, right? It's like you you're not being silenced by an institution because the institution doesn't exist. But even the amount of damage control corrections has tried to spin about the history of prison mm-hmm. for women. Oh, it's nuts! It's disgusting. Uh, the two things that like after hearing this story uh, have been bouncing around in my head is a and this is something that I've harped on before, like how asinine the sort of like pr culture Mm. you know like mental health awareness language uh surrounding again just blatant atrocities committed by our government yeah is it's like again it's individualizing it's like oh it's it's choices empowerment yeah we have to empower you so you can you can make the right decisions for yourself respect and dignity they do exactly they do it on reserves too eh? oh yeah where they're like we need to respect everyone and we need to do this and that and it's like what do you how do you how do you spin this <laughs> yeah. that way no like, but how like, do you get off yeah you and know what i mean especially like looking at like the next four years of of a biden presidency uh i think it's important to remember that like this sort of spin and this like gloss of like liberal um vaguely like humanitarian mental health uh, again, like a, a facade that they build around the exact same things that the right wing ghouls would yeah. do. Indi- individualism to the point where there's no blame. Can exactly. I, can I offer a slight tweak? PR culture is good, but how about HR culture? Because oh that's, shit, that, that's what that's what that's, I meant to that's say. That's what Sorry. I figured because yeah. I was like, and, and you're right yeah. about both. Like PR culture is definitely the other thing because corrections is very clearly trying well, to mitigate no, PR culture. Like public relations also fucked yeah, up in night, nightmare realm. PC yeah. culture yeah, yeah. Uh, PC. is is a loaded term, like basically invented by the right wing. Yeah, HR culture yeah. though, I think, is the accurate terminology yeah. where it's like it, you're just paying lip service to these people. But do you think anybody in fucking corrections gave a shit? Yeah, no, about it, these it, women? it is language <laughs> and it is jargon used not to actually 
uh, addressed issues, yeah, but to protect institutions from blame. It's not to push for change. It's yeah. exactly to cover their own asses. Yeah. And it's the same thing with HR and like an office building where mm-hmm. it's like, oh, hey, this coworker keeps fucking sexually harassing me. It's like, okay, we're going to open a dialogue about that. And we're going to we're going to create a, a means <laughs> to which to address that. Yeah, so and we're going to empower both feel, of you. Yeah, right? that's yeah. right. You feel valued in the yeah. workplace. It's like, no, just yeah, tell this guy to stop fucking grabbing you, my ass. Yeah, dickhead. you've hurt them just as much as they have hurt <laughs> exactly. you. Yeah, yeah like it's like, like a bear. Yeah. They, yeah. They, they, <laughs> have you tried yeah. making yourself look bigger? <laughs> <laughs> fucking hell yeah no like you have to deal with this absolute creep at your job and then you have to take turns holding the talking stick in order <laughs> to sort out your feelings <laughs> please fuck off straight to hell yeah that's uh, the other point that might seem blatant but struck me was when we talk about these these issues that you know in day-to-day modern parlance aren't really like prison prisoner rights and like prison abolition definitely is gaining more and more traction, especially with the the activism that we're seeing out of the United States and here. But it's not the sort of thing that like a year ago anyone would really be talking about. Like definitely like prisoners' rights, not a topic of conversation at most dinner tables. Uh, oh, so yeah, most is most, the keyword. Yeah. I was like, what are yeah. you talking about? Yeah. Most waspy dinner tables that I've sat at. As such... Even when we consider like prison for women, like like I said, at KP, they don't mention it whatsoever on the tour. These these female prisoners are, even though like prison uh, rights is very seldom talked about, the idea of like specifically female prison rights is almost non-existent. Like the like the idea of even doing an episode on this. Thank God you brought it up because we learned a lot. But I feel like that's something that generally would not would be sort of lumped in with like prisoner rights in general and not actually considered on its own and i would just like to say it's important to consider that i'm not even scratching the surface on a lot of the issues for a lot of these women specifically the disproportionate representation of aboriginal women in yeah there was there was there was a lot of us in there there still are uh, yeah it's just like 40 percent yeah the best thing is that um Indigenous people make up less than 3% of the population. And yeah. that's the thing. Which is kind of sick. And That's called representation, baby. <laughs> that's, <right. laughs> that's what we've been working for. So just towards. bear in mind that I gave us and I gave the listeners a slice of that information and that history, but there's still so much more that yeah. I, I, I guess couldn't know. Also, bear in mind, Dorothy Proctor, 17-year-old African-Canadian as mm-hmm. well, one specifically day I'll, targeted uh, for that reason. One day I'll talk about, uh, remind me in a couple weeks to do a whole episode on indigenous prisoners as well as like indigenous service people like working in uh, emergency services that'd be great and that's something that you can not necessarily look forward to because it's going to be obviously a very difficult conversation yeah yeah but that's something that we do need to cover because it is such an important aspect of why these people are serving that kind of time there's a deeply racial and colonial element kingston's fucking a colonial capital city god damn it uh, it, just to like uh, you know put a pin on my point, uh, I, I think to to put a bow on it, what I'm trying to say is intersectionality. While we normally consider it through the lens of like workplaces or just like our everyday li- everyday lives, is also uh, a present and a major factor in these you know seldom talked about political battles in in prisons in you know the justice system writ large. Uh, yeah. in healthcare all all of these like smaller aspects of our lives that we sort of like write off as like yeah no that's just how things are 
when it comes to the experiences of like women and people of color, any other uh, minority are are much worse than in in these already completely horrible situations. No, it's it's true. It's it's one of those things where we can talk about the positives when it comes to um, or are not necessarily the positives, but rather in positive spaces. So such mm-hmm. as spaces where you're making an income or spaces where you're not necessarily downtrodden, like you're you're making an earning. It's easier to talk about intersectionality in those spaces when it comes to like the plight of those people to try to gain an equal stance. But then it becomes dicey when you start talking about something that people disagree with, such as sex work or such as uh, inmates where people don't even want to have that conversation in the first place, let alone the conversation about how it disproportionately affects uh, certain people, right? Yeah. Like it becomes a negative conversation that a lot of people don't want to have. And it's like, no, this doesn't have to be a negative conversation. Right. I will end off on a bit of a lighter note, not in terms of like comedy, but Dorothy Proctor, the woman who was just abused for... Well, years by prison for women and then years by the RCMP, kicked her drug habit and lived the rest of her life happy and as healthy as one can be Hell yeah. in the situation. She also got that bag. She got a big settlement. Good. And she said, I'm going to university. I'm fucking turning my life around. That's like, sick. And she basically said, she's like, I've earned this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Did you ever? Man, fuck. I'm kidding. Did Did you've, earned ever? It, you've earned it more than most people. You know what I mean? Uh, the Prison for Women Memorial Coalition or group. Uh, I will definitely send you links to that. Yeah, uh, that will be in the description because uh, it's incredible some of the work that they do and they're still doing. And the group is actually just growing larger and larger yes. each week, which is great. There's a lot of support for this across Canada because, you know, something needs to happen. And not only do we need to think about like how horrible the prison was and how horrible inmates are treated to this day we also have to celebrate prison clothes baby that's right (laughs) a win is a win yeah it's it's the crab dance (laughs) it's like prison died (laughs) so in conclusion uh abolish every fucking prison they are a hub and a hive of atrocity that are disproportionately focused on uh people of color and the most vulnerable people in our society, be they uh, individuals with less money, less opportunities, mental health issues, fuck them. Yeah. And fuck I think, prison. Uh, I think if we shut down at least the prisons in Kingston, I think there's tons of space at uh, Mayor Brian Patterson's home. That's true. He that, will that, happily, uh, maybe lots he can of big use, houses in Kingston. He can use the faith healing to cure your of your criminal, <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. your criminal reminality. He has special yeah. powers. That's he right. could totally fix it. <laughs> His wife can deliver a 96 hour sermon where she uses the word uh 300 trillion times. Uh, yeah. and scabs. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Her favorite two words. And, you know, he can heal you. And, uh, that healing journey begins with a fist smashing through a stone wall. Truly. And I would love so much if it were mine. And I'd love so much if it were yours and Dean's and Megan's and every single person listening. Let's fucking go. Yeah. And not drywall anymore. We're, no. we're over punching drywall. That's I right. I punched through drywall. And I really Shout out to Kyle's. If you're a Kyle and you've punched drywall, it's time to punch prison walls. <laughs> yeah. It's a step yeah. up, baby. I'll give you two monsters. <laughs> tropical flavor. <laughs> If that's what it takes, that's what it takes. Prisons, we're done with this. Yeah. Yeah. Ding dong, the wicked witch is dead. (laughs) Okay. Thank you for listening, everybody. And we will see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye.